listen now for the word of God from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You heard it correctly. It's not an April Fool's joke. That's where almost every biblical scholar in the world believes Mark's gospel actually ends. The women, with their hands full of spices, ready to anoint the dead body of Jesus, upon hearing the words of the young man dressed in white to go and tell, do exactly the opposite. Seized by tromos, the Greek word is, literally trembling in terror, and ecstasis, ecstatic amazement. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The literal reading of this last line is, they said nothing to nobody, afraid they were for. For. That's the last word in Mark's gospel. Mark's ending doesn't feel like an ending, as you heard me share with the children earlier. It doesn't have that they lived happily ever after quality to it. It feels unfinished. It doesn't have that amen moment, you know? The moment that says, here is the end of my story. Now you can close the book. Mark begins his gospel by saying that he is writing the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Where's the ending? You know, Matthew has an amen moment. You you remember that amen moment very well. At the very end of Matthew, Jesus says, the risen Jesus says, Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can almost say those words by heart. That's an amen moment. That's when you know you can close the book in Matthew. 
Luke has an amen moment. The risen Jesus is blessing his disciples, and he is taken up into the clouds, into heaven. If ever there was an amen moment, that is one. You can close the book when you see Jesus disappear into the clouds. John has a very distinctive amen moment. He writes at the very end of his gospel that Jesus did many other things And he says, if every one of them were to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That's an amen moment. But Mark, they said nothing to nobody. Afraid they were for. I remember a time, perhaps some of you do too, when every hymn in the hymnal had an amen at the end. Do you remember that? Every hymn had an amen. Two or three hymnals ago, the Presbyterian hymnal got rid of almost all of them. And I said, good riddance to those amens. You would be singing the last stanza to A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, smoke coming out of the organ pipes, Everyone's voices rising to a mighty crescendo. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And then with just the briefest of pauses, the organ would come back with what had to be a little piccolo setting on it. And the congregation would warble together. Amen. Do you remember that? You want to do it now? No. <laughs> you could be singing and making a joyful noise and rollicking along to, Oh, worship the king's final stanza. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust and find, nor find thee to fail. Your mercies, how tender it starts off low. How firm to the end it gets higher. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Big pause. Cue the piccolo. Amen. Horrible. I thought everyone would be glad to see the amens go. I was wrong about that. No sooner did the church I served in Memphis change to the then new blue Presbyterian hymnal. Then I had an angry church member in my office who said he represented, they they almost always do, he represented many others who went nameless. He was also a city judge and was widely known for not backing down from a fight. Why in the world, he asked me, would we get a hymnal, A, that I don't know half the hymns in it, And B, there's no amen at the end of any of the hymns. I tried as best I could to explain the thinking behind the omission. How many times, not all the time, but many times that amen just had a tacked on kind of feeling. And that the hymn composers often were not the ones who wrote those amens. They were added by the hymn publishers because that was the tradition. He wasn't buying it. At one point, he demanded that our director of music compose an amen for every hymn in that new hymnal, which would mean searching for a new director of music, I knew. (laughs) 
It became clear for me as our conversation went on that for the judge and those in the church he was supposedly speaking for, not having an amen at the end of a hymn was as preposterous as ending a gospel with the word for. It feels a a bit like the first century equivalent of the judge read the gospel of Mark and said, this just won't do. We have to add an amen here. We need an amen moment. There's clear evidence of a later hand at work in not one, but two attempts at an ending. The first is called, in most Bibles, you'll see it labeled as such, the shorter ending of Mark. Mark 2.0, let's call him, writes, And all that had been commanded them, they told briefly to those around Peter, and afterward Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That does not sound like Mark. Sounds like a piccolo to me. And then Mark 3.0 comes along, and that's called the longer ending of Mark. It has Jesus appearing to the disciples and, quote, upbraiding them for their stubbornness, something Mark would never have said in his gospel, telling them that they will speak in new tongues, pick up snakes in their hands, drink poison, and not be hurt by it. Again, that's the first time snakes show up in Mark. It doesn't sound anything like him. It sounds like it's been tacked on like that piccolo amen. I had a preaching professor who liked to say, don't get ahead of the text. By which he meant that we should let the text speak as it speaks and not try to force something on it that isn't there, not try to imagine an ending where an ending is not. I don't think he's here today, and it is Easter. So I want to do what he said not to do. This text begs for more. It begs for an ending, for an amen worthy of the story it tells. Because here we are, all of us, in this space, on this glorious Easter day, some 2,000 years later. So you know, at least one of those women, if we're to believe Mark, at least one of those women spoke. At least one of them found her voice after she had been seized by terror and amazement. So I see them all returning home, breathless and afraid. I see them initially not saying nothing to nobody, as he says. But one day Mary is staring ahead vacantly as she does the dishes, and she's grown more and more weary of seeing the disciples' sad and bewildered faces, and something churns inside of her, and her voice returns, and she tells it all. Or maybe Joseph says to his mother Mary, What are all these spices for? 
And she realizes she forgot to hide them. And before long, she's telling the whole story to him. Or maybe Salome's friend saw the look on her face and asked her in in just the right invitational kind of way, are you okay? And out it all came. But you know, at least one of them found her voice. At least one of them found her way out of fearful silence into courageous, faithful speech. And that was not Mark's amen. That was hers. Her response. Her courage. Mark's gospel, he says, was the beginning of the good news. It doesn't have an amen, I believe, because it was meant to open out into the future. It was meant for us here today to continue writing this story. And now I think I understand why the women were so frightened, why they were silent. Remember what they had witnessed on Friday? From a distance, Mark tells us, they saw Jesus crucified on a Roman cross because of the things he said and the things he did. His boundary-breaking ministry had opened doors that had previously been tightly closed. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He spoke words of forgiveness to those considered unclean. He welcomed Jews and Gentiles Together, in the same space, he upended the temple power structure. He always spoke of love in ways that broadened the circle of God's grace, never narrowing it down. And everywhere he went, he touched those who were untouchable. And through his hands came abundance. Abundant wholeness, abundant food, abundant overflowing life. Over and over again, he preached the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, is at hand. And where did it get him? It led him to the cross. You know that had to have occurred to the women. If it was true what the young man was saying, then Jesus was, is waiting in the place where it all started. In Galilee, his preaching ministry will not end. It is only beginning. His healing, his welcoming, his loving, his challenging, his calling is only beginning. Jesus is no longer, dare we say it, safely in the tomb. And their response just got much larger than anointing a dead body. Surely they remembered his words. If you want to be my disciples, take up your cross and follow me. I think I know why they were scared. Because Jesus is alive and at work in the world, death does not get the last word. Nor does hopelessness or cynicism or despair. 
The last word belongs to God, the only one who can pronounce that ultimate amen over this story, over us. Some of you may remember a few months ago we were having a baptism. And some of the family of the baby were here. And one of the family members was a little girl who looked to be about three or four. We were singing a hymn, I believe, a rousing one. Could have been a mighty fortress or a worship the king. And when we were done, Michael played a flourish to this rousing finish. And in the silence that followed, this little girl cried out, Yay! You know, that's all amen really is. It technically means, let it be so. But really, it's just one big yes. Yay. Let it be. It's our response. Mark doesn't put it in there because it's not his response to make. It's our response. When I think about Jesus' ministry, that little girl comes to mind. You know, he took the children into his lap and he blessed them when the disciples were trying to shoo them away. He said the kingdom of heaven is like this. He blessed a woman who reached out to touch the hem of his garment, who was unclean in so many different kinds of ways, through no fault of her own. And he would not let her hide in anonymity. He called her out. He gave her a voice. He said yes to her. He said amen to her. When a paralyzed man was lowered through the roof where Jesus was teaching, he said yes to him, amen. Your sins are forgiven. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the crowds grew larger and larger and they pressed in on him so much that he had to get into a boat on the lake to preach. They were so hungry for what he had to give. And we still are. The world is starved for his blessing, his his yes, his amen. The amen, it, it sounds differently. It's very diverse, this amen. It can sound like a hammer repairing a home in Virginia, saying yes to God's yes, that all children should live secure. That amen can sound like the space between a Stephen minister and someone who needs a Christian friend to walk with them, to pronounce God's yes, God's blessing in the midst of pain. The amen sounds like the courageous voices of youth standing before our congregation to speak of their faith, their yes, in a world that too often discounts their voices. The amen sounds like the conversation between a follower of Christ and a refugee woman as they walk together in a park in Nashville. The amen is our yes in response to God's yes. And as surely as the yes of Jesus brought life then, it still does now because he is not safely in the tomb. He stands on the same side of the tomb as we do. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There is no amen moment in Mark. Mark doesn't need one because he knows his gospel is not finished. It is only beginning that it is the church, it is you and I that say amen.
with our lives. You and I, we are the amen. The church that follows him is his yes to the world, placed in the world to bless it, taking up our cross to follow him and pronounce his yes, to respond to his yes. So that's it. Mark's gospel doesn't really end. It just opens out with the giant invitation to all of us. Galilee awaits. Jesus has gone ahead. Shall we go? Shall we follow him? Yes? Amen? Let it be so.